Hello, and welcome to another episode of Five Things, an independent web series dedicated to answering the five burning tech questions you have about technologies and workflows in the media creation space, plus tech stuff I dig and how it's used. I'm your host, Michael Thomas, and today we're delving into the wonderful geeky realm of Codex, the fundamentals of usage and post and best practices. Let's pull up our geek hip waiters because it's about to get acronym deep up in here. A codec is an abbreviation for compressor-decompressor. In the most basic description, it's a specific algorithm used to encode and decode a video stream. It's used for both creating and playing back a media file. But when working with digital media, the codec is only half of the equation. A codec is delivered in a wrapper, a digital coding that encompasses the codec filling. Bastards. Bastard coded bastards with bastard filling. That digital coding tells the playback device what application should be used to read the codec inside, because that application most likely understands the codec within. Let's look at it another way. Here we have a can of something, probably delicious. This can is our wrapper, and it contains tonight's dinner. However, it has no markings. We don't know what's inside of it, uh, the essence. We do know, however, that a can needs a can opener to open up the can to see what's inside. The can opener is the media player. Once we open the can, we can examine the contents, or the codec, and choose the best decoder tool with which to handle what's in the can. In this case, we have soup. Unfortunately, I don't have the right tool with which to partake in this feast. Thus, I need to find the right decoder for the codec. In this case, a spoon, so I can consume the soupy goodness. As you can see, it's imperative to know both the wrapper and the essence inside to properly handle the soup uh, media. In post, the terms codec and wrapper are often misused or used interchangeably. How many times has someone asked you for a QuickTime or an AVI? Again, that's akin to asking for a can, not what the can contains. Could the freak be any more vague? As you discuss media decoding at your next party, and I know you will, start to use both terms like H.264 QuickTime or animation in an AVI wrapper. Codecs and wrappers are generally found in three places, acquiring, editing, and delivering. When we're acquiring, you normally don't initially choose a codec and wrapper. They choose you. Why, you ask? Well, often, you choose a camera because of the look it has, or because that's the camera your buddy will lend you. These cameras have encoders built in, and traditionally only record in one or two different codecs and wrappers. Thus, you need to handle whatever format the chosen camera gives you. You chose... poorly. Most consumer or prosumer cameras record in formats that initially look good, but perform horribly in post, like H.264. Small file size, pretty decent initial image quality, but they break down rapidly in post-production. Many NLEs also can't decode several streams of H.264 efficiently, and rendering can be a massive pain. This is where you have more flexibility to choose your codecs. You can transcode, or flip, these camera original files into more edit-friendly codecs, like a QuickTime-wrapped ProRes or an MXF-wrapped DNX HD. Editing-friendly codecs take advantage of larger file sizes by compressing the data less. This means the computer has to work less at interpreting each frame of data. This is what is known as intra versus intra frame encoding. 
inter frame encoding means the computer needs to look at several neighboring frames to form a complete image of each individual frame. Intra-frame means the data for each frame is self-contained within that frame. The latter is obviously easier on the computer, but again, takes up more space. This often means you need a greater amount of storage and a faster way of getting the data to and from your computer. Maximum speed. We have reached maximum speed. False! We must go faster though. The time for spawning is very close. Once the product is done and it needs to be delivered, again, the codec and wrapper choose you. Depending on where you're delivering the file to, you need to hit the deliverable specs. If it's broadcast, you most likely will have to hit the Red Book standards to conform to, lest your media fails QC and you have to regenerate and resubmit. If delivering to an online provider such as Netflix, Hulu, and to some extent YouTube, they each have specs you must hit or risk poor image quality or the file being rejected. Many NLEs have their favorites. Some are robust enough to handle several different codecs and wrappers, while others are quite a bit finicky. Let's highlight a few of the best practices in several of the popular NLEs. Let's start with Avid Media Composer. Avid's codec du jour is DNxHD. DNxHD is a lossy HD frame size codec developed by the people at Avid. When Media Composer is directly handling DNxHD, Avid wraps the DNxHD in an MXF wrapper. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP, shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up in MIA and then we'd all be put on KP. I've often been asked, again at parties, why an MXF wrapper, Michael? The simple answer is that the MXF wrapper, the container, has much more flexibility in the spec. An MXF can contain several different essences or ancillary metadata, etc. So while it isn't easily played outside of Avid, the assumption is that if you're already using the media within Avid, why not use Avid to view it? Avid also excels with standard deaf footage. Old school editors will certainly remember the OMF wrapped media. Avid still uses SD material and uses the same Meridian codec as it always has, only now it's been unified to also be in the MXF wrapper. XDCAM is also handled by Avid very well, namely because XDCAM is an older spec, and Avid has had many years to perfect its usage and playback. Next, we look at Final Cut Pro 7 and Final Cut Pro 10. Final Cut Pro 7 always played with ProRes the best, namely because Apple created the codec. Older codecs like DV25, DV50, and DVC Pro HD also worked very well, but tended to break down more easily in post when doing color and effects. Final Cut Pro 10, given the greatly enhanced playback foundation, can play most media formats much easier than the other NLEs out there. However, Apple will still render in ProRes if you let it, and you'll get more streams and more real-time effects when using ProRes over, say, H.264. Lastly, we have Adobe Premiere. Adobe is a bit of a Swiss army knife. It has no allegiance to DNxHD or Apple's ProRes. However, Adobe has realized the same thing I talked about earlier. Intra-frame codecs perform better than inter-frame ones. Adobe also is the most open in terms of playing in the other sandboxes as the other NLEs. The result is that Premiere works exceptionally well with Avid's DNxHD and Apple's ProRes. Just be aware that if you're on a PC, you can work with ProRes, but need to render into another codec like DNxHD. Thanks, Apple. There are some basic rules, however, to abide by. 
Hollywood, man, you got to come a little bit more specific than that. <laughs> there is almost no reason to ever, ever work with uncompressed HD footage. Can you? Sure you can work with it. Will you need a massive amount of storage space and very fast storage? Yes. And the visual quality will most likely be imperceivable. Don't use it unless you have a reason to, like very high-end effects work and color work. Again, mid to high bitrate ProRes and DNX HD will work in almost all cases. Most camera original codecs suck in post. H.264 sucks. AVC HD sucks. All of these look good initially, but break down in post, both visually and by system performance. The only real modern exception has been XDCAM. It's a common acquisition codec, and it's handled pretty well by most modern computers and NLEs. It's not as robust as DNxHD or ProRes when it comes down to flexibility for effects and color and post, but the file size trade-off and the ability to go from camera to edit can make up for it in quick turnaround scenarios. So when it comes to camera codecs, transcode from them or record directly into an edit-friendly codec, as we'll talk about right now. Earlier, we talked about acquisition codecs and how this is largely based on the camera you choose. There is a way to hotwire these cameras into recording to formats you want. Oftentimes, cameras have HDMI or HDSDI outputs, often called baseband. Many third-party recorders, such as the Keypro family from AJA or the field recorders from Atomos or any one of the Cinedec recorders, can take these uncompressed baseband signals and record them into edit-friendly codecs, often QuickTime-wrapped ProRes or QuickTime or MXF-wrapped DNxHD. Not only do these solutions bypass the need to transcode the files into edit-friendly codecs later, but as mentioned, the baseband signal is often pre-compression, uncompressed, resulting in a better image as it's being recorded. Higher fidelity. This is hi-fi, okay? High fidelity. You know what that means? That means this is the highest quality fidelity. Hi-fi, those are two very important things to have. These types of baseband encoders run anywhere from several hundred dollars to several tens of thousands of dollars. If a baseband recorder is not in your budget, then you need to take the hit in image quality and use software to transcode the compressed camera footage to make the editing experience a bit more pleasurable. There are dozens of solutions out there, from basics like Apple's compressor to Adobe Media Encoder, as well as Telestream's episode family, all the way up to enterprise solutions like Telestream's Vantage, Rosette Carbon Encoder, Root 6's Content Agent, and others. All solutions that not only flip the files for you, but add additional features, such as greater control of the essence of the file, QC passes, logic-based encoding decisions, and distributed encoding amongst multiple machines to speed up your transcoding. Another shortcut is to change the wrapper, but not the codec inside, in the hopes that another player will understand it. MPEG Stream Clip is a great tool for this, as are MP4 tools and AVI tools. Another tool I use daily is Media Info, which is available for Mac or PC. This app digs into the wrapper as well as the codec and gives you all of the dirt on the file. This can be a lifesaver when troubleshooting decoder and codec issues. Lastly, VLC is a free player that has great compatibility and you can usually play most media files that you're likely to run into. I'm often asked, when outputting, what's the best possible codec for blank? And there really isn't an easy answer. 
First and foremost, wherever you're going to, follow their format guidelines. Chances are you're not the only one who has ever had this inquiry. Seriously, don't try and outthink the distribution hub. You're at their mercy anyway. Second, I've always found the best success has always been to base your encoder settings off existing presets in your software transcoder. No, this isn't cheating. Oftentimes, these profiles produce excellent results, or at least get you in the ballpark. Also, not all software transcoders are built equal. You may have to try several solutions to find which one handles your product and media the best. Something else to keep in mind is that there's the law of diminishing returns. Simply jacking up the data rate of a file doesn't mean it's going to look any better. Each codec has its own thresholds. Years ago, there was a job title known as a compressionist. Do you even realize the impact that a compression this good could have on the world? The compressionist melded the science and math of encoding with the art of good visuals. This job has largely been eradicated due to what I perceive to be the public's tolerance of substandard image quality and the proliferation of one-click template-based encoding applications. However, one size does not fit all, and different stories and shooting styles call for different settings. Experiment and learn, and create the best quality image within the parameters of the deliverables that you need to generate. The realm of codecs is as wide as it is confusing. Have more codec concerns other than just these five questions? Ask me in the comments section. Also, please subscribe and share this tech goodness with the rest of your techie friends, especially at parties. I plan to be back in another two weeks with another five things. Until the next episode, learn more, do more. Thanks for watching.